Well, anyways, let's get into this. We are in our, our second week of our Understanding Love series, uh, a series where we uh, look at Matthew chapter 22 and seek to take a look at what does it mean for us as Christians to love, not only understanding what love is, but understanding what it means to love God and to love others. Last week, we looked at the foundation of love. We looked at what the bedrock of love is, and that is God. God is love. And we looked at how without knowing God, you can't truly understand and know love truly. Now, God gives us the ability to feel love and to express love, but without God, there's, there's a limit to how we can truly understand what that love is and the depths that it can go. And we cannot love the way God calls us to, to love on our own. We need Him. We talked about the fact that God calls us to love others and to love Him in ways that are otherworldly, in ways that are different. And for us to be able to love in that way, to forgive in that way, we have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And so you've got to know the Lord to know that love. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at what it means for us to love God. So we looked at how God is love last week. This week we're going to be looking at what does it mean for us as Christians to love God, to love our Creator? Let's go to Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, and look at our core passage again. And we're going to revisit this next week as well. This is our core passage for the series. Matthew 22, 36 through 40 says this, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, we can sum up this passage basically by looking at how we are to love God and love others. Everything that we are called to do as Christians that the Bible teaches us falls under two key categories. To love God and to love others. Everything falls under that, that category. And there's a lot of overlap. For example, if you love God, then you are going to love His people. First John chapter 4 taught us last week that if you say you love God, but you hate people, then the love of God is not in you. It's contrary. It's, these are not disconnected, disjointed pieces. They are interconnected. But yet also understanding them as two different categories can help us to understand how we can truly follow the things that God is calling us to do. And now when it comes to loving God, the idea of what this looks like in both form and practice is all over the Bible. Now I'm going to be honest with y'all. This was really hard to pick out, of, pick out where we were going to look at this morning because there's, there's so much in God's Word about what it means for us to love God. We see many instances in the lives of those who follow the Lord show their love for Him in their life. In particular, for example, David wrote many psalms about his love and admiration of God. In fact, we're going to be in three different psalms this morning because there's so much in there. And in fact, one of the psalms, Psalm 119, that we'll, we'll finish out with today is so massive and so full of praise and worship of our God. We could spend a whole year here, but we're not going to do that this morning. So to best flesh this out, we're going to look again at verse 37 and kind of figure out how we're going to lay this out this morning. 
If we've got verse 37 solo, I, don't, I can't remember if I put it up. No, I don't think I did. So if you've got your Bibles, you're looking at the screen, look at verse 37. We're going to read this again. Verse 37 says this. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Let me read that again. You shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, Jesus could have just said, love God with your actions and words, but he didn't. He could have said, love God with your heart and your mind, but he didn't. Jesus specifically lays out three different things that we love God with. Our heart, our soul, and our mind. Now, depending on your translation or which book you're reading this from, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark and Luke, in addition to this, add in strength. But and, and for us looking at this today, we're going to look at these three main categories, strength being something that could be applied to all three. So this is how we're breaking it down. It's pretty simple. We're going to look at what it looks like to love God with our heart. Then we're going to look at what it means to love God with our soul. Then we're going to look at what it means to love God with our mind. So let's start with the heart. Psalm 8 says this. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 says this. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, we are grateful for today. God, we are grateful for you. Uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, be with us as we explore your word this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to understand what it means to love you. And God, not a, a love that is shallow, not a love that is dependent on what we do, but God, a love that is genuine and true and a love that comes from knowing you. God, we, we often are in this mindset that we, that we love others and extend love out to others well. But Father, when it comes to loving you, sometimes we feel lost with that. God, help us to know what it means to love you. God, help us to know what it means to be obedient to Matthew chapter 22, verses 37, and what it means to love you with our heart, soul, and mind. God, help us to love you and put you above all things where you belong. And God, forgive us where we fail you. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. So the first uh, that we are looking at today is that we are to love God with all of our heart. What does that mean? Now, 
It may not be a surprise to you if you are familiar with Scripture that we're turning to David and his Psalms. But, and, and David wasn't perfect. Let me just say that uh, right off the get-go. Right? I, I don't want anyone to think I'm like putting David on this like high echelon pedestal for us this morning. He was a man after God's own heart, but boy, was that, was that man imperfect. Right? I mean, we all are. Uh, listen, if any of you ever feel like you are not good enough for, for Christ or good enough to, to, to know God and to belong to Him and to be forgiven of your sin, you just need to look at people in the Old Testament. Look at their stories. Look at their sin. Look at what they did. Look at the, the apostle, or no, look at, look at Paul, who, or, who was once Saul, and what he did and what happened in his life. You are never too far to know God and for Him to love you and save you. You're never too far from that. David, a man after God's own heart, not only committed adultery, but he committed murder. And he lied. And he, he failed God in oh, so many other ways. But in God's rich, loving mercy, he forgave David. And David repented of his sin. And David wrote these psalms. And we get to see a picture of a man who truly loved the Lord. And so, you know, for us, David gives us a little bit of an example of how he loves God and uses his words. And I think us as human beings, we find ways that we show love, right? Like, for example, I just talked about Valentine's Day. We, we give people gifts or we write them cards. When we, when we love somebody, we tell them that we love them or we spend time with them or we give them gifts or uh, we give them hugs. Like, we, we, we as human beings, we have a way that we express love to one another. We also have ways that we express love to things or to ideas or, or activities, right? So, for example, if you are somebody that has a hobby and you love being outside, you can find yourself outside a lot. Or maybe you're really into hunting, right? Maybe you're, you love to go deer hunting or duck hunting or dove hunting or whatever. Like, you have camo at the nines. You collect different guns to do that. You, you know what day each season starts, and you treat that as a holiday, I remember doing ministry in southeast Arkansas, close to where the deer camp that we used to go to was when I was a kid. And I remember the opening weekend of deer season was like a national holiday. Schools shut down, like churches altered some of their services so that they guys can come back in after cleaning their deer to be a part of the service. I'd never seen anything like it before. Because up here, yeah, it's important, but down there, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a nationally known holiday. It was really neat, actually. But the, the reality is, you, when you love something, you, you are invested in it, and you show it, right? If you love a sports team, for example, you wear their colors, or you, you watch their games, or you follow what they do. So when it comes to how do we show love, we're not bad at that. But maybe we do it in a way that is not prioritized well. What do I mean by that? We sometimes will say that we love somebody or love something, but our actions and words don't show it. Right? We say that we love somebody or love something, but our actions and words don't show it. For example, we say that we love God, right? Maybe some of you can confidently say that you do. And if you say that you love God, then, my, then the question would be then, how often do you spend with Him? Do you only spend time with Him when you're prompted? Do you only read the Bible when you're told to or when somebody else has it open? Do you only pray when there's a prayer group or when somebody is prompting you to do so? 
Do you only spend time with God or do you spend time at church only when the holidays allow, like Easter or Christmas? I think there's so many people that say that they love God and that He's the most important thing in their life, but their life does not reflect it. Because the reality is, if, if me as a husband showed love like that towards my wife, we'd have a very bad marriage. If I only spent time with her whenever I was prompted to, or if I only uh, spent the day with her whenever it was a holiday and never talked to her except if I needed something, I mean, that's not a healthy marriage. That's not how you show love. And so I don't say that to, to beat up on you guys this morning. If there's somebody that is, that is in that boat, maybe you, you haven't been reading your Bible as much as you'd like to or praying as much as you would like to. But my hope for you this morning is that you can find tools and learn what it means for you to truly show your love for God and what that looks like in your daily walk. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, right? I'm not perfect at loving my wife. I'm not perfect at loving my kids. And I'm not perfect at loving God. But when I say that God is, is the most important thing to me and I love Him, I need to show it. And it needs to be true and genuine in my heart. We sometimes allow other things in our lives to capture our love more than God does. And that can't be so. And so we're starting at the heart because the heart motivates everything else. Everything that, our, that motivates our actions and our desires and our mind and our, and our love starts here in our heart. Whoever sits on the throne of our hearts dictates our actions and desires. So for example, if God is not sitting on the throne of your heart, and somebody else is, or something else is, then everything that you do, your actions, your loves, your desires, are dictated by whoever sits on the throne. So for example, if the thing that you love the most is your job, or the thing you love the most is being, uh, is, is maybe a specific individual, then everything that you do, you will do for whoever sits on that throne. Your actions, your desires are all motivated. Your responses all come from protecting who is on the throne. But the only person that should be on the throne is God. Because oftentimes when other things sit on that throne, we respond in sin. So how is it that we can love God with all of our hearts? And how is it that we can make sure that He is seated on that throne? What does that look like? Well, let's look at this passage and look at how David is seeing God. In the first two verses, he's showing how he loves God by putting Him in right position above all things. Right, he starts this talking about how majestic is your name over all the earth, O Lord, our God. He's putting him on this position where God is above all things and in all things, and he's putting him in right position, not only in the order of creation, right, because God has no beginning or end, but he's putting him in the right position of this whole passage. David clearly shows that the most important person in this is not himself. It's not creation. It's God. Everything about this passage points to how God sits on top. How He is the priority in this. He is above all things. And then next, in 3-4, He loves God in recognizing God's creation and putting Himself under God. He recognizes when He looks at the heavens and the work of your fingers and the moons of your stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of Him and the Son of Man that you care for Him? He recognizes God's wonders and God's bigness over all things and recognizes that He as a man is, is under that. 
But he recognizes, too, that God created all things. And he sees all things and, and wonders and awes at him. It grows in his love and worship for him. And then in verses 5 through 8, he loves God and recognizing God's love for man. He recognizes the way that God has loved us, how he created all things and then set us to be over those things, but has shown that we are a created being that is higher than the things ever created, but lower than heavenly beings. Again, putting us in a right stage of mind. God is above all things, and then we are under that. And he shows us how God, in his love for us and his love for, for all things, had a proper order to them. And David, recognizing that, shows a reflection of what's in his heart. And that is that God is first and foremost. Not creation, not himself, but God. And then he, he ends it with this. O oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He treasures his name dearly. He treasures who God is. He treasures who he is not only to David, but who he should be to us. And when we love the Lord, oh Lord with our hearts, God should be central in our hearts and above all things. We have to start there. Because if we start first with our mind or start with our soul but miss the heart, then something else can very easily overtake our heart and become more important and become, become an idol. God has to be first in our lives and first in our heart. So the second is this, that we are to love God with our soul. Now that seems kind of strange because often we associate heart and soul to be very similar things. In fact, sometimes we use them as interchangeable words. And, and I want you to think of these three categories like this. They're not separate individual things that aren't related. It's more like a Venn diagram. If you don't know what that is, think three circles that are overlapping one another. There are things about these that overlap one another. But what does he mean by our soul and this distinction of our soul? Well, the reason why he uses the distinction of the soul away from the heart is because our soul is a reflection of our inner being. It's who we are and it's who we belong to. And when we become Christians, we are given the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and it changes us. Right? We talked about that conversation that Nicodemus and Jesus had where Jesus says you must be born again. Now, he didn't mean born again in terms of a physical, bodily born again, but rather being born again in our soul, that we would be changed and transformed and our inner being would be made new. And so for us to love God with all of our hearts and all of our souls, we need to learn what it means for us to look like Him in our transformation. Because the Bible teaches whenever we become saved, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are made brand new. We are adopted as sons. Uh, we are adopted as sons and co-heirs with Christ. That we are able to cry, Abba, Father. And in that, we then reflect no longer in, in, in the image bearers we once were, but rather we reflect the image of Jesus. Whenever God looks at us, He sees His children. And so for us to love God with our souls, we have to learn what it means for us to look like Jesus and reflect that in our own lives. Turn with me to Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. To put it simply before we go into this, to love God with our soul is to look like His Son 
worship him and obey him. To look like his son, worship him and obey him. Psalm 19, 7-11 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. A commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than, the, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So in this, David is recognizing that the law of the Lord is perfect, and this rejoices the heart. He's talking about the scriptures. When it comes to loving God with our soul, to love God is to obey him. To show love for God is that we do what he asks us to do. Right in the same way that you might show love for a parent or love for somebody that you care about that that is wise and that you follow their counsel, you do what they say when you love them. Right? That doesn't always mean you're going to be perfect at that, right? We've all been kids once and have been rebellious, or some of us have had kids and have had kids that have been rebellious, right? But when it comes to love God, to love God is to doing what he is, is doing what he says. But there's also worship. There's not just obedience, but there's worship too. And this whole book is full of it. But when we see how David talks about the Lord and his instruction, he says that it's more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. He's talking about how, how important and how amazing this word is. The instruction of the Lord, the things he calls us to, the direction that he would have us to live. And David worships him in that. Not only in song, but so, so far beyond that, his whole life is worshipful to God. And the way that he lives, and the way that he spends his money, and the way that he spends his time, and the way that he writes, and the way that he's obedient, and the way that he sings praises, as we have recorded here. Worship is not just our songs of praise to God, it's the way we live. And so if we are to say that we love God with all of our soul, it means that we need to be obedient to what He calls us to do. It means that we're to worship Him. It means that we are to try to find ways to look like His Son. And it's through those things that we grow in our love for Him. And notice I didn't talk about Scripture yet, because that's still a part of it. But we'll end talking about that here in just a few moments. Let's look at this. Loving God with our mind. Loving God with our mind. If you got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 119, 9 through 16. If you're in our midweek prayer group, you're like, oh, this is familiar. <laughs> Psalm 119, 9 through 16. So we love we talked about loving God with our heart, loving God with our soul. Now we talk about loving God with our mind. To love God is to pursue him and to know him. And we love God by reading his word and knowing him more. When you grow in your knowledge for the Lord and you learn more about Him and learn who He is and spend more time with Him, your love for Him will grow. Psalm 119, 9-16 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. 
In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119 is full of so many words of praise about God's word and how important and impactful it is. I think sometimes we get into this mindset that knowledge is not important, but it is. We get in this mindset that, that yes, we love God and we honor him with our hearts and our souls and what we do. But how is it that we learn what to do? How is it that we learn who God is? How is it that we begin to see how amazing and awesome he is? We do so by reading his word, by knowing what he's, what, who he is and, and what this book says. The more we learn about God, the more we learn to love him. The more we learn about God, the more we grow in our understanding of what he does and why he does it. The more we know God, the more he begins to reveal himself to us and we draw closer to him. Right? It's like getting to know somebody. Right? You can't love a stranger, or at least in, in a way that we would think in our earthly sense. Because the Bible calls us to love others and to love the stranger and love our neighbor. But it's hard for example, if you are, if you remember dating, right, in, in, in the dating world, you get to know somebody, you, it's, it's hard to, you know, love at first sight, you know, is, is kind of more, more of a, a, a attraction rather than this true, deep heart love for somebody. Because love is something that you also continue to choose each and every day. But as you get to grow and, and, and know somebody, that's when that love begins to deepen. And it's like that with our relationships with God the more we begin to learn more about him, the more that we grow to love him. I've got a couple of stories to share about this because it's just been so cool to see the way the Lord's worked in this. Well, when I was a student pastor in southeast Arkansas, um, our student ministry would uh, sometimes have little games. We'd give away like things in a treasure box. Nothing, <clears throat> nothing fancy like small little trinkets, you know, things that kids love. Like That's when like fidget spinners were really popular. So we, we'd give those away. And at one point, I thought to myself, why am I not giving things away that have more eternal consequence? So I started giving away like 365 uh, year Bibles. I started giving away things like that. But then my wife and I discovered a, an app called Dwell. And Dwell is an app that it's uh, basically think Spotify or Audible, but for Bible reading. Um, it takes Bible reading audibly in, in a whole different direction and is, is done really well. And it's helped me and Victoria stay super consistent in reading our Bibles because of how well it is and how much we, we drive or travel. And it's been so wonderful and it's been such a blessing. And so when we discovered that, we were like, we want other students to know this blessing because I know they struggle to read and stay in the Word. And students, at least nowadays, are a lot more inclined to listen to things rather than they are to read things in a book. And listening to things often increases the ability for them to read as well. So what we did was we started giving away uh, these Dwell subscriptions. And I remember distinctly one of our students who was a leader got it and came back to me a month later. And she was teary-eyed. And I said, hey, what's up? And she said, I had never known how much I was missing out on my relationship with God. She got that app and started listening to the Bible consistently for a month. And it completely transformed her. It transformed the way she thought about God. It transformed the way she thought about herself. It strengthened her relationship with the Lord as she said it was one of the best things that could have ever happened to her. 
just reading her Bible consistently. I had that same moment when I was, when I was a teenager and I was gifted a Bible for my 16th birthday and was reading it much more consistently. It's transformative. God's Word is living and powerful and it is impactful. At Cross for, at Cross for the Nations, it's a conference for young adults who are seeking to get into the mission field. Uh, they, uh, on stage, read the book of Romans. And it, they read the entire book of Romans. And you may think to yourself, man, if I went to a Bible service and he just read the book of Romans for the whole service, I don't know how much I'd get out of that. I might, I might, uh, <laughs> I might zone out a little bit. But they read the book of Romans to a group of about, uh, I think it was 4,000 college students. And 30 of those college students became Christians during that reading. 30 college students became Christians simply from the reading of Romans. There was no sermon. There was no altar call. There was no any of that. They read the book of, they, they listened to the book of Romans. The Holy Spirit convicted them and they became Christians. That is how amazing and wonderful God's word is. How transformative and how powerful it is. And the more you grow, you learn to love God or the more you learn about God, the more you grow in your love for him. We are called to be students of the word, and that is what it means to love God with our minds. Let me end with this passage, Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. I don't think I put it on the screen, but this is kind of short, but here's what it says. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So not only are we to read God's Word, to grow in our understanding and love for Him, to grow in our knowledge for Him, but we are to set our minds right. Meaning that we are to set our minds in pursuit of Him, not on things of this earth. Right? That should be the number one. Not only in our hearts, not only in our soul, but in our mind. And we have to continuously keep our thoughts captive to work on redirecting them towards the kingdom of heaven. So here's what I've got in closing. Loving God and loving others are very closely connected. It is hard to have one without the other. In learning to love God, you naturally will love others. A true love for others comes from knowing and loving God. And when it comes to loving God, we are to love Him with our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And we do so by worshiping Him, obeying Him, loving His Word, imitating His Son, holding Him above all things, and praying. Don't forget to pray. When you want to grow in your love for God, read His Word and pray. And I promise the Spirit will do works in you. So my question for you this morning as we close is do you love God? Do you love God and are you showing that you love God? Or has your love for God been dependent on action? Or has it been dependent only on what's happening at church or what the pastor says or does? My hope for you this morning is that you will learn to love God on your own. And you will learn to grow in your relationship with Him. And just like any good relationship, it takes work, it takes time, it takes commitment. And it takes you choosing to do so each and every day. Will you pray with me as we have our time of invitation? Lord, we thank you so much for today. God, we are grateful for this morning and we are grateful for you. Father, help us to grow in our love for you. God, help us to grow in our desire to know you more. God, I pray that you would be at the center of our hearts 
in our minds, and God, that we would grow to put you above all things. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your Son. And it's holy, it's in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen.